Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. A little later in the show, we are going to talk about undecided voters. Who are the voters who have not made their decision yet in the 2016 presidential election? What is it that they're waiting to see or learn? And what would change their minds? What's the, the, the decisive factor in the ballots that they're going to cast on November 8th? We're definitely going to want to hear from listeners during that segment. If you are an undecided voter, definitely give us a call during that segment and, and talk over with us what uh, what you're thinking and, and why you're still sort of on the fence about what you're going to do on November 8th. That all, and undecided, I think, can mean a number of different things. You can be undecided between the two major party candidates, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. You could also just be undecided about whether you're going to vote for one of those two candidates or not vote at all. Or, of course, you could be weighing the difference between one of the major party candidates and a third party candidate. I think there are a lot of different possibilities there, and I want to get into all of them uh, with the listeners and especially hear from people who really are not sure what they're going to do on November 8th. But first, I want to talk about something we talk about a lot on this program. What does it mean to be an American? Recently, we spoke with Gold Star father, Kazir Khan, who's a native of Pakistan, but now an American, who lost his son in a battle fighting for America overseas. Khan's assessment of what it meant to be an American was arguably one of the most patriotic and optimistic views of citizenship you'll ever hear, and certainly more optimistic and uh, patriotic than I consider myself to be. And he's an immigrant to this country. Indeed, you don't need to look much further than Broadway these days to see the argument made that immigrants are some of the best Americans this country has to offer, as the play Hamilton depicts the life of immigrant Alexander Hamilton, who, of course, went on to be the nation's first secretary of the Treasury. We are a nation of immigrants. It's a fact of this great experiment we call America. So why is it that immigrants often are on the wrong end of criticism here? Why do they get a bad rap? Think of the rhetoric that we have heard in the 2016 presidential election about immigrants, primarily coming from someone like Donald Trump, Immigrants are politicized, they're put down, they're scapegoated. My next guest has pondered the question of citizenship and immigration in his work. Jose Vargas is a writer, filmmaker, and digital publisher who covers immigration and the American identity. He's the CEO of Define American, which uses storytelling to discuss citizenship, and he is going to be the keynote speaker at the ACLU of Michigan annual dinner on November 11th. Jose Antonio Vargas, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So let, let's talk about your work and how it sort of defines this idea of citizenship and immigration, the, the, these two concepts that in modern political discussions often end up in tension with each other or in conflict. Uh, your work tries to, to make a different sort of sense of those two ideals. Well, I mean, I think for me, it's, um, it was out of necessity. Um, I moved here from the Philippines when I was 12. My mom put me on a plane um, to live in America, to live with her parents, my grandparents. And I didn't, you know, 
I thought everything was fine. I was 12, mm-hmm. so I didn't really know what was happening. <laughs> um, then I found out four years after I got here that the papers that they gave me were actually fake. So that's how I found out when I went to the DMV and tried mm-hmm. to get a driver's license. That, um, when you say the papers they gave you were fake, what what what? Paper? My green card, the passport. Wow. Um, basically, mm-hmm. I got here illegally. They yeah. um, they had smuggled me. I thought that the guy who brought me to the airport was my uncle, but I guess he was one of the guys that my grandfather paid. So that's how I found out. Mm-hmm. And this was in 1997, and so I, you know, there was no Google. I couldn't. <laughs> I, couldn't really, I didn't know what was happening, and I didn't understand how could this have happened. And, you know, this was at a time when living in California, where I grew up, like when people thought of illegal people, right, you automatically thought Mexican. Right. And I'm Filipino. So it was very confusing. Um, and I think since then, when I was 16, and that was when this whole idea of, wait a second, so... I can't be here because I don't have the right kind of papers. The law says I'm not supposed to be here. People call me illegal. That's what the media says. Um, you know, how do you how do you make sense of this? And I have to say, by the way, like I'm not sure what I would have done if I hadn't <laughs> if I hadn't had the teachers at my high school uh-huh. um, to kind of rally around. Um, not you know this whole idea that it doesn't matter if you don't have papers, like you're one of the kids at school, you know? Right. Um, and for me, the the real revelation was reading. Um, you know, people like James Baldwin, uh-huh. Toni Morrison, uh-huh. Maya Angelou, like, if I hadn't discovered the writings of those people as early as I did, I'm not quite sure I would have... I'm, I'm not quite sure I would have I would have been given the space in my head to, to kind of claim something... Um, right. That wasn't mine. Right. Right. Or like pledging allegiance to the flag every morning, right, at school. Um, felt like, wait a second, like, does this flag belong to me? Like, am I supposed to be pledging to it? Like, what does that even mean? Right. Right. Um, so that was really important. I, and I have to say, by the way, um, thank you for that introduction. I think there are certain tropes and certain kind of statements that we as Americans, especially now, you know, whatever happens on Election Day, mm-hmm. although, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that it's not Trump, um, <laughs> whatever happens November 9th, I think we are living in a different kind of America. Yeah. And I think in a different kind of America, statements like immigrants built America, right? I think that's something that we need to unpack. Um, because I just think when we say that, we, we are leaving two groups of people behind. We're leaving Native Americans behind and we're leaving black Americans behind who were imported here. They weren't immigrants. That was forced migration, right? And I, and I also have to say that, of course, I think it's, it's important. And I'm so grateful for Hamilton for creating this narrative of, you know, immigrants who get things done, (laughs) right? We get the job done, (laughs) but we shouldn't at the same time, rob immigrants of their complexity and their humanity. Yes. Meaning we're human beings too. We're not perfect people. Right? Like I'm 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 worried that we we have, you know, immigrants as a group of people have gotten kind of commodified, right? Like we're hard working people that you would love in your country. Well that's true, right? But hey, some of us can be stupid too. <laughs> right? <laughs> and that's okay, some, right? <laughs> and that's okay, right? Like some of us you know, I mean sometimes I'm not as nice as I should be. 
but I try. <laughs> right? Like, right. I, 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 I just don't want to create these expectations that we're here to solve everybody's problems. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm curious about the, the story you just told about coming to this country as a 12-year-old, finding out that, uh, that your path here had not been legal. How did you go about correcting that? Talk about the process <laughs> of, I mean, that's, a, that's an incredible place to find yourself in. And then, of course, your, your instinct, I'm sure, would have been to say, well, I need to become, uh, I need to become a legal citizen here in the, in the United well, States. Well, yeah, I mean, because that's what everybody says, right? Yeah, like, right. And, you know, I, I, I grew up in, um, the irony of this is my grandparents um, are both um, naturalized U.S. citizens. My uh-huh. grandmother was a food server. My grandfather was a, a security guard. But their idea of America, even though they're here legally and they're naturalized citizens, like America to them wasn't something welcoming right. <laughs> necessarily. Right. So it, it, for them, it meant that I'm supposed to keep my head down. I was supposed to get an under-the-table job. I was supposed to be a security guard or work at the flea market. Huh. Right. So that was kind of their goal for me. And they weren't educated people. My, 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 my grandfather graduated high school. My grandmother didn't make it past fifth grade. Mm-hmm. So they never thought about talking to a lawyer. That just was not right. part of their plan in their head. They thought, you just come here and you hide, right? But then for me, uh, when I found out I was here illegally, it was also around the same time that I realized that I was gay. And so that complicated a lot of things, as you can imagine. <laughs> sure. My my grandfather, who's, a, who's Catholic, a lot of Filipinos are Catholic, um, wanted me to just marry a woman and get papers that way. I see. Yeah. And I really fought him. On for, you know, I I just didn't think two wrongs is going to make a right, right. <laughs> in terms right. of lying about that as well. compounding right? the error, right? No. Yeah, I just didn't think, right? I mean, I'm not going to... It was one thing to be in the closet about being undocumented. I'm not going to be in the closet about being gay either. <laughs> like I'm just not going to do that. Right. Um, but again, this is where, this is where you know James Baldwin for me particularly, right? Notes of a Native Son, mm-hmm. another country. Uh, nobody knows my name. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just you know, I'm, and, and I'm saying this as somebody who's who's not black, right? right? I mean, the 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 liberation that I found in reading the writings of Americans who felt and who feel excluded from America, um, for me was, I mean, in many ways, I think when we talk about defining American, I think we have to look at it from the perspective of people who have always felt either deprived or excluded from the promise of America. And that means women, right? That means, you know, the barriers that women have had to face, the barriers that Michigan is home to the largest uh, population of Arab Americans in this country. I mean, since 9-11, you know, when we got terrorized, we've been, we've been terrorizing each other, and Arab people have been, you know, incredibly terrorized in that way, right? Um, I, I have to say that this is where this evening, um, for me, is really, really um, special, you know, what... Um, what the ACLU of Michigan is trying the to do. The evening in November, the dinner. The yeah, dinner. and I'm, I'm really grateful to be there and to kind of celebrate this. The theme this year is actually Beyond Walls, yes. bringing justice home. And I think one of the things I'd really like to talk about is this sense of, for me, America now, we can no longer talk about America in silos. I can't talk to you about immigrant rights and not talk about the Black Lives Matter movement and I'll talk about LGBTQ rights, and I'll talk about Muslim Americans and Arab Americans, 
and I'll talk about income inequality among all Americans, including white Americans. Right. right? So all these issues intersect. And yet, for the most part, the media, for the most part, likes it to be separate. Our politicians like it to be separate. Right. Um, so how how do we bring justice home in that perspective, right. in that right. regard? I think and that's really, really a crucial question. And so ultimately, what was it that, that allowed you to... To become a citizen here. I mean, what, talk about that process. What so actually, you have no, to there's do? no. Um, again, for me, what was really amazing. What was really amazing were my teachers because they were the ones that tried to find ways. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I mean, the first person I ever told I was here illegally was my choir teacher, Mrs. Denny, uh-huh. because she wanted the choir to go to Japan. And I said, you know, I can't go I to can't Japan. Do that. <laughs> I don't have the right passport. <laughs> They're not going to let me in there or back <laughs> you know, here. Denny was like, no, 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 Jose, we'll get you the right passport. I'm like, no, Mrs. Denny, don't, you know, I, don't, I don't have the right passport. And then she finally got it. And then the next day she changed the trip to Hawaii instead just so I could go. Wow. Wow. Right? And can you imagine? I mean, I just, you know, and she never told anybody. And then my high school principal, Pat Hyland, who's become like my mother, she's like one of my surrogate moms. Um, she was the one who found me a college scholarship so I could go to college. Uh-huh. Um, when I found out that I got accepted to the Washington Post for a job, the first person I told was my um, high school superintendent, Mr. Fisher, Rich Fisher. Uh-huh. And he was the one that actually took me to a lawyer. He took me to an immigration lawyer. And this was right after 9-11. And the immigration lawyer said, well, the only option here is for Jose to go back to the Philippines, accept a 10-year bar, there's a 10-year bar right. if you've come to the country illegally, and then try to go back. And, you know, as the lawyer was saying this, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, well, I guess that's what I'm going to have to do. And then when we got out of that office, I remember this like it was yesterday, we were on Montgomery Street in downtown San Francisco, and Rich Fisher looked at me and said, um, you're not going anywhere. I'm like, you're already here. Um, you're doing everything you can, like you're not going anywhere. Can you imagine that? Yeah. I mean, I, oh, I, I was so prepared to just like, okay, I guess this means I go back. And if it wasn't for him saying that to me, and that's, again, all these mentors in my life um, who kept validating, right, my existence here. Yeah. And to this day, I mean, the question I always get asked is like, you know, why don't you just make yourself legal? Because there isn't a way for me to, quote, unquote, get legal. Right. Um, and, 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 and for me specifically, this was a choice I really had to make five and a half years ago before I outed myself as undocumented. Because it was, at, at that point, I had to think, okay, like, I've been here now, you know, at that point, 18 years. Um, I have a Pulitzer, which, meant, which means that maybe I should apply for some extraordinary ability visa <laughs> right. or something. You could, right. Make people think that I'm some sort of an exception to the rule. But then that felt really um, false, meaning just because I have a piece of paper that says a Pulitzer Prize, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, my grandmother has a piece of paper, you know, she has it on her wall. I don't sure. think that makes me any more, <laughs> you know, I don't know, special. Right. Um, so I had to make a choice about do I self-deport, which is what people want us to do, or do I stay? And I thought about that a lot. I spoke to 27 lawyers, because, you know, I'm a reporter, so yeah. I did my homework. <laughs> um, and the more they said, the more they said I was in trouble, the more I started thinking, I owe it to this country to stay. You yeah. know? I owe it to this country that has given me everything I have. 
my education, public education, the public libraries that, you know, public libraries to me are Google before there was Google. Right. Um, I, <laughs> right. you know, I would, I would not be the kind of person that I am um, without the public library school system in this country. Um, so I owe it to this country to stay. And that's what I've done. And define American, this, this organization, right? I, especially now, I think of storytelling as not only storytelling. To me, it's, it's an intervention. It's a correction, right? right. Um, and, it's, and it's for many people a liberation, right? Like, I, I think we're living in an America now in which people who have been othered refuse to be othered anymore. Wow. Right. That's right. Um, and, and in this America, you know, the the minorities are constituting a new mainstream. Right. And in some ways, I'm actually thankful for Donald Trump for exposing all of this, for it's exposing sort of, us to each other. He sort of brought it into a in a sharper oh, yeah. focus, right? Um, Absolutely. And I think now, I mean, this is where you know, this is where Baldwin comes into play again, right? Like nothing can be changed until it is faced. Right. Nothing can be changed until it is faced. Are we willing to face each other? Yeah. Are we willing to look at each other's eyes? Yeah. You know, so, are we willing to ask harder questions of ourselves? I think that's where we are right now. Yeah, yeah. So uh, before I let you go, I want to I give you a chance to talk about uh, the event on November 11th, what your speech there will be about. Um, but I also wanted to, want you to expand just a little on what that existence is like for you this this sort of limbo i mean this this idea that you're not an american that must get sort of pushed into your face uh, over and over again uh, uh how do you sort of how do you sort of reckon with that on a on a daily basis in in day-to-day living just uh, just the idea that despite all of the time all of the things that you've gotten from this country but all of the things that you've given to it in addition, that somehow you are not seen as an equal to everybody else. <sighs> Tough question, um, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm undocumented. I'm gay. Um, my name is Jose, and I look Asian um, because you know Filipinos have Spanish names. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, the, the terms illegal faggot was always like ringing in my ear. <laughs> um, I guess for me, it, it, this whole idea of being excluded and being not equal has always been cemented in my head. That thankfully for me, the more I, the more I was felt to be excluded and not equal to the more I wanted to say that I am right. <laughs> included, right? You want to thankfully push back. That, I mean, thankfully that was my reaction. But again, this is where all those readings, right, or, 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 or where, I, where I was allowed to do that. And I made it, right? Like, I, I thankfully transcended that and made it. I think of all those kids, you know, who have not and, and who cannot. Sure. And you know, and, and you're saying that to me, who's not even "quote unquote" legally supposed to be here, but there are many young people in this country who were born in this country who have papers, right? Who don't feel like they're included or should be here or don't feel equal. Yeah. 
you know, I'm talking about black kids, I'm talking about Latino kids, I'm talking about Arab kids, I'm talking about gay kids, I'm talking about all of that. And I think, you know, for me, I, um, I had to create a system of reality in my, you know, a system of reality in which America is more than just the flag I pledge to. It's more than the laws that are passed. And it's more than pieces of paper that are supposed to say to me, my worth. Right? America to me is the fact that I bear witness to all these people's lives. The fact that my lives, that our equalities are tied to each other. Right? I think it's the values that we hold dear about what made this country what it is. And when people say to me that America is a country of laws, I mean, of course it is. But our history of our country shows us that laws don't equal justice. If that were the case, we would not have interned Japanese during World War II, right? If that were the case, you know, we, we would have allowed women to vote much, much, much earlier on. If that were the case, we would have given Native American citizenship way before 1924, so don't talk, to, don't talk to me about laws if you can't talk to me about justice. So, you know, our theme, you know, for this dinner is this idea of, you know, beyond walls, right? right. And you, you've heard a lot about walls and borders. You're going to keep hearing about walls talked a lot borders. about walls all year. That's right. All year, right. And here's my big question about walls. Has humanity ever built a wall that could withstand human will? So long as people are hungry... So long as parents love their kids, they're going to cross whatever wall you put in front of them. Isn't that what happened when the Irish had the potato famine? When all those Irish people got on coffin ships, they call them coffin ships because so many people died, just to get here and they crossed the border called the Atlantic Ocean, right? Yes. I, I, to me, the sacrifices, you know, I actually think we have to think of immigrants in a way of... The very act of moving to a place in which you do not know the language, you do not know the people, you do not know the culture, that is a courageous act, right? So the people we're getting here are people who are courageous enough to do that. And guess what? They're just like you and me. They're people. Well, that humanity that that you talk about and the commonality of it, uh, not just uh, across... uh, across borders, but within borders. I mean, I think one of the more interesting things you, you, you talk about and write about is that commonality of otherness that exists between immigrants and other people in this society who are marginalized, who are pushed out, who are told you are not part of, you are you not are part not of part the America that, that, that we want to celebrate. Absolutely. So please, you know, if, if you're free, please join us. It's going to be November 11th, um, and I can't wait to be there. Um, and it, hopefully it'll, it's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I think it will. It's always a great night, uh, and I'm sure that uh, your speech is going to be incredible. Jose Antonio Vargas, writer, filmmaker, and digital publisher. He is this year's keynote speaker at the ACLU annual dinner on November 11th. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you so much. Absolutely. All right, up next, we're going to talk about the election. It's just two weeks away. 
who are the people who are still undecided about what they're doing on November 8th, and why are they undecided? We're going to want to hear from you during that segment, and we're going to talk to someone who is studying this whole idea of undecided voters. Stay with us on Detroit Today.